Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Nest learns the alphabet. Ben Kaufman isn't quite as quirky. Irish 2.0 is a little more blue than 1.0. And dash buttons for everyone. That in a conversation with Smart Home designer Sam Buckby on this episode of The Smart Home Show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Wolf. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. It's been a couple weeks since I've released a Smart Home Show, so I apologize uh, for the absence. It's been a busy summer, but also a slow summer from a Smart Home News standpoint, so there hasn't been a ton to talk about. So I thought I'd get back on the mic this week and talk a little bit about the news that's happened over the past few weeks, as well as in the second half of the show, which you listen to my interview with Sam Buckby, who is a Australian-based Smart Home designer who works with architects and home construction companies to help people plan their smart home. And so we talk about that. He actually has written a book and we'll talk about what his new book is about and some of the ideas he has in the book, which is really a framework for how to think about designing a smart home and the thought you should put into it. So that was a fun conversation. We'll have that in the second half of the show. But before we do that, I wanted to get to some of the stories. Like I said, there hasn't been a ton of them, but there has been some interesting things happening. A couple big things, a few small things. The, the big news that I want to talk about is first the Google restructuring into Alphabet, and also talk about Ben Kaufman's departure from Quirky. Quirky is the parent company for Wink, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Also, a few other pieces of news, Amazon Dash uh, released their Amazon, Amazon Dash buttons to all of Prime members, as well as a new Lowe's hub coming out. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But first, I wanted to mention a survey I'm, survey I'm conducting about the smart home, for smart home industry people, people who are smart home enthusiasts, I want to get your opinion. I'm conducting a survey of people who really know the smart home. And because a lot of the surveys that we see out there are from consumers who really don't know a whole lot. And I oftentimes think those are great, but we don't need a hundred of those. It might be nice to actually hear from people about where they think the smart home is going. Uh, people who actually know what they're talking about. So that's what I'm doing. If you want to participate in the survey, I'd really appreciate it. And you'll also have a chance to win a couple pieces of smart home gear that we'll be giving away to those who do take the survey. And you also have uh, access to the results. I'll send you those in an email. If you want to take the survey, just go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash smart home survey 2015. Again, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y backslash smart home survey 2015. I actually wanted to read you one of the responses I got on the survey. When I do surveys, I oftentimes leave an open-ended response where people can give me their thoughts in free form. And this question was basically asking, what do you think of the current state of smart home and where you think it's going? And so this response I thought was pretty interesting. This person is just one person's opinion. You know, your opinion may be differ. It may be similar, but, you know, this is just one opinion I thought was interesting. He said, when shopping for my smart home system, I found a disjointed mess. Poor in-store marketing with sales personnel who didn't know a whole lot. Going online was a lot, wasn't a lot better, in my opinion. Nest has a lot of positive traction, but the whole works with Nest program is a bit confusing. HomeKit is a disaster at this point. Kickstarters aren't really helping, and there are just too many competing service systems to survive. Given the infancy of DIY smart home, this isn't surprising. He goes on to say that he chose Lowe's Iris because it was, <laughs> A, right down the street from his house, and it had a decent display. 
Although he said that the sales personnel and associates are clueless. <laughs> the convenience and recent very competitive pricing led him to Lowe's. And since he started pricing out Lowe's, Iris, it's gotten better. He, he sums up by saying, you know, he expects more consolidation uh, because there's just too many platforms to survive. Just ask Wink. Well, I thought that was interesting. I think it probably echoes some people's sentiments out there, maybe not all people's sentiments. Uh, certainly he was a little bit harsh, I think, on the, the low sales people. I'm sure maybe he got someone who, who wasn't uh, super literate on the topic, but I'm sure there are some low sales people who do know what they're talking about. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. I'd love to get your opinion. Again, if you want to do that for me, please go to bit.ly backslash smart home survey 2015. But hey, let's get on to the news, shall we? As I said at the top, I want to talk about what Alphabet meant for Google's smart home efforts. As you may or may not know, Google announced this week, just yesterday, that they're restructuring the company and there will be a new parent company called Alphabet, under which Google and a few of its mainline core services, i.e. the services that make most of the money, will remain under Google, while all the new and more experimental moonshot-based ideas and companies will go under Alphabet and report directly to Larry Page. Larry Page will also have Google reporting to him, but again, these other companies will be separate from Google and will report directly as to Larry as their own lines of business. So those include Nest, as well as Google Fiber, as well as Calico. For those of you who don't know, that's the health and longevity research division and, and eventually product division uh, from Google. And Google X, as well as their investment arms, all will be part of Alphabet outside of Google. Of course, I started to wonder what all this meant for Google's smart home efforts. And by Google's smart home efforts, I would include the following. Nest, I would include Brillo and Weave. I would also include Thread. And these are each, in their own right, interesting. And, and there's probably some rationalization to argue to, for, uh, you know, why they ended up where they are. And I think they do make sense. Let's, let's kind of explain where things ended up. Because Android actually is going to remain under Google. And so that means that Brillo and Weave will also remain under Google within the comfortable confines of Android. Now, of course, Android, as you know, is a, a mobile operating system around which has grown a very robust developer ecosystem. And I think that's the reason why Brillo and Weave will stay there, because when you look at Brillo and Weave, they're basically core technologies tied heavily to Android around which Google wants to get momentum with software and hardware, hardware developers. They see IoT and smart home by extension as the logical next step for all these connected devices that they want to connect into. The first big wave of their efforts around creating a hardware operating system was mobile because they saw the future of the internet, the future of search was rooted strongly in mobile. And that made a lot of sense. And we've seen that play out over the past decade, haven't we? I mean, since really 2007 with the introduction of iOS and, you know, Android actually came into being before that, but wasn't acquired by Google till later. Uh, and then ultimately became this very robust alternative to iOS and really part of what I would call a duopoly. When you look at the, the mobile uh, operating system platform wars, I think it's really kind of Android and iOS. And, you know, there's some of the others like Windows, et cetera, BlackBerry and, you know, some, some others. But I think by, by and large, the vast majority of smart connected phones today are either iOS or Android. And so, when Google's looking at the next 10 years, they certainly see IoT as the, kind of the next big wave. And so they've positioned Android to, to be at the core of that. And from that has sprung Google, Brillo, and, and Weave. 
And just to, as a reminder, if you guys don't remember what those are, Brillo is really an IoT operating system. It's a modified version of Android. While Weave is more of a kind of a, a protocol and framework to connect things, somewhat akin to HomeKit, but not necessarily reliant on, as HomeKit is, on a particular piece of like security hardware, as is the case with HomeKit. So I think those two things make a lot of sense to remain within the framework of Google, to remain under Google. But when you start to talk about Nest, the conversation gets more interesting. I think Nest, uh, as a as a division that probably doesn't make a ton of money today, I think they're probably – uh, could potentially be in the black, but by and large, I think you know it's not as, certainly as profitable as the other divisions like search or like uh, advertising or even as, as profitable as Android at this point. It makes sense that it would be put under Alphabet where they're basically putting all their future bets and their moonshots that have a lot of headroom for growth, have a lot of upside, and I think that really describes Nest well. And by large, when you look at all the efforts around hardware, and if by hardware I'm using a very generous and kind of far-reaching term, you know, you have Google's efforts in terms of wearables. Uh, you have Google's efforts in terms of their own possibly creating a future connected car. They're, they're doing lots of interesting things around virtual reality. And so I think all those efforts are experimental. They're not really proven from a profits, profitability or revenue standpoint at this point, but we all know that they have a lot of promise. And so all that's going to go under alphabet and report directly up to Larry Page as CEO. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Where Thread goes is less clear. I don't think I really saw anywhere where Thread's going to end up. But quite honestly, Thread is not a division that's making money. It's more of an effort to create an independent industry standard. Sure, some of the baseline technology came from Google Nest. But I think that the the original intentions were to create an independent standard uh, that a lot of different companies could join and then build into their products using technology that's based on an IEEE 802.15.4 standard. So I think that's really where Thread's going to be. I don't really think it necessarily has to have ownership. But by and large, just stepping back and looking what all this means, you know, someone uh, I read, uh, Junko Yoshida from EE Times, compared the new structure to a Jack- Japanese uh, Kiretsu. Actually, she actually called it uh, something else. She called it a Zaibatsu, which apparently is something that would go over a Kiretsu because I had always been familiar with the term Kiretsu. And to be honest, when I first read about it, the alphabet company structure did remind me of a Kiretsu. So it it makes a lot of sense. It's one of these large multi-division conglomerates in a sense uh, that will obviously be sharing resources and and sharing information, but having the different companies structured under different uh, kind of independent holding companies, if you will, independent holding company, if you will. So I think that's really it. I think it's it'll be interesting to watch and certainly, uh, you know, in line with the, some of the, the behavior that we've seen from Google in the past that they continue to surprise. And I, one of the, the, the biggest challenges for me is just be, being able to say Alphabet instead of Google. I mean, for the past decade or more, we've been talking about Google, Google as a company and all the interesting stuff that at least I follow is now going under Alphabet. So that'll be a challenge for me just to get that right. The next thing I wanted to talk about was the departure of Ben Kaufman from Quirky. Most of you probably know, if you listen to the show, that Quirky is the parent company of Wink. Wink is a smart home hub and hardware company that has been an interesting uh, company to watch for a number of reasons, partly because they are part of of Quirky, but also because um, they've had some issues around hardware reliability. They actually did a recall. And now... 
uh, we see that Ben Kaufman is leaving after weeks and weeks of potential financial problems being in the news. Ben certainly hasn't been quiet about it. He's been talking about it uh, in the press that the company has essentially ran out of money. And he's gone so far to say that the decision to make entirely new hardware startup in Wink uh, as part of another hardware startup uh, was potentially a bad idea or was a bad idea. And he regretted the decision. And so we know that, uh, you know, based on what we're hearing, what's kind of out there, they've been trying to find a new home for Wink. But it looks like things haven't really gone well because they have, A, at this point, we don't know of anyone who's bought the company. And we don't know of any new investors in Quirky at this point. And with Ben Kaufman leaving and then and the CFO taking over, which is, uh, you know, the other kind of half of the coin, it shows you that they're putting the financial adults in charge. Now, with regards to Ben, I think he's a visionary. He's a charismatic leader, and I've certainly enjoyed watching him and, and kind of seeing him try to build out his vision at Wink and at Quirky. Uh, and I'm certainly uh, eager to find out where he ends up. I'm sure he will find out or will find a new home because I think he's one of these guys that's, that's talented and people see he has a vision. But I think he's the kind of guy who probably would be more apt to do well within the large confines of like a Google quite ironically, or, or something like that, where there's a lot of money to burn where they can flesh out their vision. Where he ends up, we don't know. But the bigger and more relevant question to the smart home space is where Wink will end up. Certainly, I think there's a chance that Wink could still get acquired by a company who's looking to fast-track uh, a smart home or IoT strategy. But if that's not the case, if they, if they don't find a new home for Wink, a financial white knight, if you will, I think at this point we might ultimately see Wink die, which is sad to hear and sad to say. But if no one's willing to take a chance on them, I just ultimately think you're going to see the Wink brand die. All right, let's move on. We'll have more conversation about Ben Kaufman, Wink, and Quirky on the next Smart Home Show with my guest Richard Gunther. He'll be uh, joining me, and we'll have that published a few days after this one. So if you want to hear uh, myself and Richard, a really smart guy who's host the Home On podcast, talk about that, tune in for the next podcast. But I wanted to move on very quickly and talk about the new Lowe's Iris Hub, Iris Hub 2.0, essentially, that uh, will be coming out within the next few months. This story was uncovered by Julie Jacobson over at CE Pro. She had found the FCC document basically stating that there is a new Lowe's Iris Hub being manufactured and, and designed by Centralite, a smart home-centric hardware design and manufacturing company, and I guess the biggest news, if you haven't been paying attention, is that the new hub will have Bluetooth. The current Lowe's Iris Hub doesn't have that. This isn't a surprise if you have been paying attention and listening to the podcast, because I talked to Kevin Meager, the ex-GM of the Lowe's Iris division for Lowe's, and he told me last year that they would be adding Bluetooth to the next generation hub. So he was true to his word, even though he has moved on. And uh, we may have some news about that later. He actually moved on to another smart home centric company, uh, but that's a, that's an Another conversation for another day. But, you know, when I looked at this, one of the things I wanted to write about, and I wrote about it on my Smart Home Weekly site, was, you know, what will Lowe's do to really ignite demand for their Smart Home products? Because, quite honestly, you know, all indicators are that they haven't seen a ton of demand. Now, I know that they've been wanting to uh, redo their hub, move away from the Alert Me platform for some time. But really, I don't think the problem is a fundamentally a technical one. I think that the issue has been largely about how to retail. And this is hardly something that only Lowe's is finding challenging. If you look across the board, almost without exception, I think that retailers are still trying to figure out how to best retail and sell and convince consumers 
that they want to buy a smart home. So with that in mind, what does this mean for Lowe's? If, if other people are finding it challenging, if they've continued to have, have challenges, you know, in addition to creating a new hub, what should they do at retail to maybe ignite demand for the Iris smart home system? Well, I had a post and I had a couple suggestions. So let me just kind of go over a few of those. I think one of them could be quite simply, uh, they could integrate with a few of the other smart home platforms. Like obviously HomeKit is one that comes to mind. I don't know if Apple would be willing to do that because this seems like it might be competitive to that. Uh, and it might be too late in the game to do this. I certainly think that making this HomeKit compatible could be really interesting. Another possibility is just invest more deeply into in-store expertise. I mean, if you go to some of these stores, if you go to Lowe's and you just grab someone off the floor and ask them to explain Z-Wave to you or Zigbee or just generally smart home, you're going to get a deer in the headlights look by and large. I mean, that's not the case certainly for every retail uh, for person. Certainly there are some people who are maybe exceptional in being able to explain this stuff, but I think the it's more the rule than the exception that people on the floor at Lowe's and a lot of these other places aren't really uh, well-versed in what a smart home can do for them, can do for the consumer, and, and just really kind of being very knowledgeable, knowledgeable about the topic. So I think that's one thing. They should definitely invest in a genius bar, if you will, to take Apple terminology and really have these experts around and present to help convince people. So those are just a few suggestions I have. Take them or leave them those if you'd like. I have more suggestions at smartomweekly.net. You can check that out as well. All right, last story before we get to our interview with Sam Buckby. Very quickly, you may have noticed that Amazon has started shipping their Amazon Dash buttons to pretty much anyone who wants one now. Before, they had largely been limited to a select number of Amazon Prime users. Now you can order one online, particularly if I think you're an Amazon uh, Prime user. Any Amazon Prime user can get one. And the big problem was I was looking at them. I was trying to figure out which one I wanted. And the problem was I couldn't figure out which one I wanted because all the products really didn't seem to resonate for me. I don't order. I don't need diapers. Um, I don't need uh, detergent necessarily to order through a dash button. So I finally uh, decided to get Izzy. My it's a it's a drink, a fruit drink that my kids uh, my kids like. And I thought, well, that's something that I order, so I will get the Izzy button. Now, my wife promptly asked me, what, what happens if the kids keep pressing the button? Do we Will we have stacks and stacks of Izzy showing up at our door? Um, and I let her know that's not going to be the problem because Amazon was, was at least smart enough to stop the orders after one and wait till the uh, wait till an actual shipment arrives. But, but really the frustration about having to have a specific button around a specific product um, – made me wonder why they don't just make a general purpose dash button that I can assign to any product. And I think the reason for that, when I thought more about it, was they just wanted to partner with these brands, these large companies, and get them on board and show them clean data and get them excited about it. These are companies that they certainly want to continue to work with, some of the largest CPG and consumer product companies in the world. So getting these guys early on as partners, having them as select partners, I think is a big part of the strategy. I will be reporting back to you on how my own experiments and playing around with the dash button uh, works in, you know, the next few weeks. Well, that's all the news for now. Next up, we have Sam Buckby uh, to talk about being a smart home designer, as well as his new book, Homes with a Heart, that basically is a framework for how to design and plan your own smart home. If you want to find more smart home shows, you know where to go. Go to technology.fm. You can also find us on your favorite podcast apps in iTunes and across the Internet. 
If you want to read my writing and, and read about the news, uh, a lot of the stories I talk about, just go to smartnoweekly.net and check that out as well. All right, folks, now for my conversation with Sam Buckby. Sam, you are calling, I'm calling you uh, down under. You're in Australia today. You're in Melbourne, right? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably, uh, we're at a very different times of the day and different times of the seasons, but uh, I, I really want to talk to you about uh, your new book. You actually have a new book called Homes of the Heartbeat. And also kind of talk a little bit about your, what you've been doing, because you've been focused on creating a design consultancy focused on residential smart homes, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, uh, something that was recognized you know, by myself a while ago. I, I was just sort of saying how I, uh, I'm a contractor by trade, electrical contractor, and, and I've worked in the industry for you know, over 15 years. And uh, I just felt that there was a, a massive hole in the market when it came to the design of you know, how we introduce technology into the home. It, uh, you know, it's become a fundamental these days, you know, years gone by, it was, you needed walls and you needed a roof and you needed um, doors and windows. And, and now the, the need for technology, you know, we're finding is, uh, yeah, it is, it's a fundamental, it's a pillar of the home. So, And you work with home construction companies, architects who early in the stages, right? This isn't something that's often a retrofit. It's when a home is being built you work with them. You probably work with the home builders about making the home smarter, and you're largely focused on residential. You're not, you're not really doing commercial. Yeah, ninety nine percent of our work is uh, is residential at this point. Um, leaving the door open, we you know we might uh, we might go into a commercial market down the track, but right now we uh, we're really good at the residential stuff, so we'll stick to it. But uh, yeah, you're right. It, it is. It's an early planning thing for us. Um, look, it varies. There's a job I'm. I'm on my way to a project today where, you know, they've acquired the home. They do want to start the build in the next few weeks. You know, it's a short time frame, so we've sort of got to fast track the design. But predominantly, yeah, we're, we're sitting down with the architects, you know, six, 12 months, you know, before the build starts. And uh, we're, we're really trying to look at how the home's going to function. And, you know, over here, I can only assume it's the same worldwide. Architects have got a big push for, for making homes uh, more energy efficient, more sustainable, and then what we do is we look to use technology to you know, sort of supercharge those elements as long as in, uh, as well as increasing the functionality and you know some of that lifestyle factor as well for the homeowners. So let's characterize what you're doing in, when you're making your typical uh, engagement where you're making a home smarter. As you, you know, you said we had a kind of a conversation. There's a much different market in Australia. There's not as much penetration around DIY. This is a, a situation where you're going into a home fairly early on or even before it's built. And there's a lot of more wire technologies from my understanding you're not using as much wireless technology so talk you know what are some of the typical i guess features and and fun, kind of foundational technologies you're building in yeah so i mean we certainly still and you know, it's a preference of mine too we still look at creating a bit of a hub um from a wired point of view i mean in my experience you know in, in the time i've been in the industry wired solutions are far more bulletproof um, Wi-Fi has obviously come such a long way and, uh, you know, something like a, a Sonos audio system has just proved us all, you know, all of, all of us who are four or five years ago sort of steering clear of wireless because it had its errors, something like a Sonos has probably proved us wrong a bit that, uh, you know, it can be a great product and be really reliable. And, you know, and some of the smart locks that are coming out, I think are, are really good like that. However, you know, we still try to create that that hub from a wide point of view. So that might be our lighting control system. It might be some of the key security elements. Um, it might also be a lot of the outputs. Um, so you think about things with the load. So, you know, window motors or blind motors, 
you know, we still like to have a lot of them wired into the infrastructure. Uh, it gives us better control and it actually, you know, in, in our findings, it's made it a lot easier to be able to integrate them uh, rather than having that sort of communication barrier between different technologies when we're just utilising, you know, cabling and dry contacts. Uh, that integration and that level of control is, is far easier and far more adaptable, you know, we've found. But certainly a lot more Wi-Fi coming in, you know, nearly just as every day passes. So so you're different than a lot of the, the home system integrators in the U.S. who may align themselves with, like, uh, a, an ecosystem or kind of a, a brand, like it's, you know, Crestron or Savant. Are you working with some of those existing platforms or are you generally kind of piecing together different pieces uh, not necessarily around a, a kind of a central uh, company-based ecosystem, if you will. Yeah, I mean, we've got some specialist contractors out there and, and we'll talk to, you know, um, them prior to doing the design and, and, and we try and tailor it around, you know, what's what's the client really want at the end of it, right? more so than picking a brand out and running with it, you know, picking something out of a shop window and then trying to work out how it's going to work. We reverse engineer it a bit. You know, how does it want to? How do we want it to work? What does the client really want? You know, where are their priorities? Are their priorities, you know, in their in the safety and security of their home, or are the priorities perhaps more um, a lifestyle thing where they, you know, they want that sort of wow factor? And then we, like I said, we reverse engineer it and start looking at the products that way. Now, with that said, um, the market is a little bit different over here. We do see, you know, Control Four and Savant and that over here, but there's actually uh, a more local company. Uh, Clipsal, who's owned by Schneider, who's a, obviously an international company, uh, they've got a product over here called Seabus, and that's probably uh, by far the market leader uh, over here um, from a from a central hub. It's essentially it's a lighting. It was it was birthed as a lighting control system probably 15, 20 years ago, but uh, it's really adapted into being a a hub for the smart home. Uh, Clipsal was a, a family-owned company for years and years and years over here in Australia. It was acquired by Schneider, you know, maybe ten years ago. Um, so there is a, there's a, we're a small country down here in Australia. So when you, you have a, a local sort of family owned company like Clipsal doing so well, people seem to stick by it and, uh, you know, they've, they've gone from strength to strength and, uh, you know, they continue to grow and I certainly wouldn't have thought they're losing any market share, even though they, you know, they hold the biggest portion of it. Are there any point products from a DIY perspective that have taken off? Because as you alluded to, you know, you, you haven't seen as much of that in Australia, but are there... Maybe a few cases. Um, are you seeing any sort of breakout hits? Is, is, for example, Nest down there, and are people using it? Yeah, Nest Nest is taking off down here. Absolutely. Uh, funnily enough, it's probably a credit to you, Mike. But uh, I seem to I seem to hear about him on your podcast, and then see him see him uh, on a job maybe three weeks later. So you're just beating <laughs> us to the post every time. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Nest is certainly taking off. I mean, the wireless audio, you know, Sonos in particular, has been really strong down here for a long time now. Um, the biggest growth I'm seeing right now is, is the, the, uh, the smart lock market The you know, things like August and Kivo are starting to, to be more prominent, uh, than ever. They're, they're growing at a rate of knots and, uh, you know, we're, we're using them and, uh, you know, they hold great value. That's interesting. I mean, I know that Australia is usually this, the, the first international market for a lot of these guys, cause you guys have standardized on kind of the traditional, uh, deadbolt cylinder unlike europe which generally uses um different types of locks uses uh, mortise mortise locks but i think australia is similar to the u.s in terms of the lock style and i think that's why they've you've seen kivo down there and seen august yeah absolutely absolutely it's it's uh and uh look there's not a massive 
portion of our market that is uh, the retrofit, sort of that sort of low low end, medium end sort of retrofit. But uh, you know, we're even specifying these these sort of wireless applications now onto these brand new jobs because you know there are there wide there's wide solutions out there that are probably easier to integrate into the systems. But I think uh, some of the functionality around these these new wireless locks is uh, is at such a high level. It's you know when you when you're looking at the compromise between the bulletproof wired sort of solution or the the wi- uh, the wireless one that's got greater functionality, you know, greater integration with apps on your phone. Uh, we, we're tending to go that way, particularly in the last sort of six months. So you decided to write a book, um, kind of outlining your vision around. Uh, the the smart home with kind of a design framework and, and kind of a methodology. So it's called Homes with the Heartbeat, the step-by-step process to achieving a highly functional and smart home. So tell us about the book, why you decided to write it and w- what it's about. I wrote the book uh, for one reason, and it was because five years ago when I was talking to people about uh, automating their homes, the, the market that I was talking to were people that were pretty tech-savvy. Um, so you could talk to them and they had an interest in it. And the reason they had an interest in it, cause I'd already done a bit of research. It was, you know, who they wanted to be. What I found in the last few years is the market's changing. The, uh, technology is now going into homes because it needs to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's a fundamental now. So the people who want this technology are the people who bought a smartphone, you know, five or, well, sorry, they were probably the, the last people we know to buy smartphones because that wasn't their passion, but. You know, they've gone down that track and now they've got these homes that they want to be able to introduce this functionality and, and integration into and they don't know the same language and they talk to and look, I've got some fantastic uh, integrators that work for us and, and they talk in a different language to these people who aren't tech savvy talk and there was always a lot of conflict, a lot of confusion and that's why I thought, you know what, this needs to be changed a bit, it needs to be simplified because you know, I think you'll agree that, um, you know, we used to call smartphones smartphones. Now we just call them phones because everyone's got a smartphone. Right. And, and the housing industry is going to be the same in 10 years' time. You know, we call them smart homes now, but we're just putting in more functional, you know, more simplified technology as every day goes past, and they're just going to become homes. So we need to target that market, and that market, the people who own homes, is pretty broad. So that's why I wrote the book. It's, uh, it gives people a bit more insight as to not necessarily how the technology works, but, you know, if they want a home that's safer or they want a home that's more efficient or they want a home that they're proud of, that, you know, has a great sort of lifestyle effect to it, you know, there's technology and this is how you get to that point. Without, without having to know the nuts and bolts of it, you know, you can come in from the other way and, and really achieve what they want to achieve without not without having to learn the stuff they don't really need to learn. So. And so it's tailored towards uh, someone who's a homeowner who may be thinking or exploring smart home technology. And so do you give them a few kind of entry points, be it kind of from a budgeting standpoint, from like, you know, based on what they want from an experiential standpoint? I mean, are you kind of giving them different kind of uh, flavors, if you will, or different kind of approaches to kind of enter the smart home? Yeah, and what I try and give them is I try and give them the tools to get um, a, a smart home that's highly valuable to them. And and so what I mean by that is instead of, as I mentioned to you earlier, looking at the products you know that are getting 
advertised on TV or in the shop windows. I'm thinking, oh, that looks cool. I wonder how it'll benefit me. But, it, you know, I'm sure it looks cool. Going back the other way and saying, right, so, you know, what is really important to me in my home? Because everyone has got a budget. You know, some people have got humongous budgets. Some people have got small budgets. But everyone's got a budget of sorts. So it's how we kind of then prioritise how they go about, you know, best utilising that budget. You know, do, are they better to put all their money into, you know, things that do offer, a, create a safer, more secure home, or are they better off putting things into something that's uh, a more sustainable, efficient type of outcome? So it's a sort of a bit of a priorities uh, test in there, and, and you can really tailor where you're going to spend the money. And then there's a lot of stuff there about, you know, future-proofing, uh, making sure that sort of regardless what you do now and what you can afford now, that, uh, you know, as things free up or as things change in the future, you're not going to be sitting there thinking, you know, geez, I wish I'd known about that or I wish I'd planned for that. Being, a, I guess, a design consultant around the smart home, is it a matter of like you engaging with with home designers, with architects and building those relationships to get called into a job or are there people literally looking at you online or finding you and then bringing you in? I would imagine it's more of the former than the latter, but maybe it's a little bit of both. It's more the former now because there's a bit of education that goes with it. It's it's an industry that doesn't really exist. Well, didn't really exist, you know, not that long ago. So people don't think uh, I'm going to build a home. Hey, I need someone to design, you know, all the technology and all the functionality of the home. It's It's just not there. Uh, so yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm out there building partnerships with, you know, some of the best, uh, home designers, you know, certainly in my region down in the South coast of, of Australia and, and also looking to scale up, you know, throughout Australia and, uh, who knows one day even further, but, uh, look, it's a pretty easy conversation for me. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm a, an electrical contractor by, by trade. So, I'm not, I didn't come through the design school. I, I, I didn't come through the architecture sort of, you know, I'm, I'm a hands-on blokey bloke kind of, you know, I've, I've, I've been in there, I've installed this stuff, you know, I've, I've had to go back and fix this stuff because, you know, I've seen the pain in the homeowner's eyes. So I've come from a different way and, and it's made it quite beneficial for me because, yeah, it's, it's not a design thing for me. I'm the first to admit that uh, if somebody asks me, uh, when it comes to designing the lighting and I can talk about how it's going to work and how it's going to you know best suit them and how it can work at different levels and then they say well what do you think will look best I say oh I am the absolute wrong person to ask uh, I've got uh, aesthetically I'm I'm uh, disabled I can't work out you know what looks good and what doesn't functionally because I've you know done it all with my hands and, I, and I've seen it all uh, it's a very easy conversation for me to talk to these architects and, and it's a real value add to them because they've come from the other way you know, they're very design uh, orientated when it comes to aesthetics, you know, size, shape, things like that. And I've come from the other way. So it's a matter of like the architect and the home builder coming in and, and maybe in conjunction with the, the homeowner, if they've already kind of bought in saying, this is what we want. This is experience we want. This is where we want it. And, you know, they'll work on kind of ultimately how it's going to look. But you, what you're saying is you, you're the one that figures out how to do it and kind of install it. Yeah. That's right. And look, we look at, it's not just um, the locks and it's not just the lighting. You know, we'll look at uh, the windows. We'll look, say, right, so you're on a coastal property. Now, down here on the south coast of Victoria, we get most of our weather from the southwest. And uh, if, you know, if it's a warm day down here and there's a cool change in the afternoon, that's where the breeze comes from. 
but too often I see people have windows on the north side. It's very different to obviously up there in the northern hemisphere where you are, where it's you know you you want to have your windows on the south side. A lot of people have their windows on the north side, but then they don't realise that opening those windows on the north side won't catch that breeze um, in the evenings, in the afternoons on a on a hot day. So we look at you know working with architects say right. Let's identify weather patterns. Let's identify different temperature ranges. And then let's look at how we can automatically control this stuff. Because, you know, the last thing people want when they're building a, a $3 million home is to have a cool change come through and then they've got to run around like chooks with their heads cut off opening 25 windows. You know, we've, we've gone beyond that. Um, it's got to the point now they just want either the house to do it itself because it's got a bit of intuition or they want to be able to pull their phone out and hit, you know, open windows. And it just happens, and it's catching the right breeze. You know, we can even measure where the breeze is coming from and open the windows that, that should be opening. You know, same with blinds. It can We can watch where the sun's travelling and, and open and close blinds quite simply through, you know, their portable device. Or, you know, we can set up parameters so it does it by itself. Where can people find your book? Are you Is it for sale? Is it, uh, is it available online? Yeah, so it's just uh, the book's all of about six weeks old. It's still my uh, little baby at the minute, but uh, I think just in the last maybe two weeks, it's now gone up on Amazon. Uh, so you can certainly find it on Amazon. That's the only online source at this point. And then uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll look to spread my wings a bit. But uh, And then certainly it can be uh, available through the website, www.smarterbuildings.com.au. And people can find it looking for Sam Buckby, B-U-C-K-B-Y, Homes with a Heartbeat. Hey, Sam, thanks for spending time with me, man. No worries, Mike. Thank you. Well, that's it, folks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sam Buckby. You can find his book at Amazon, Homes with a Heartbeat. I always enjoy talking to folks actually out there in the field, working with consumers directly, making smart homes work, and kind of hearing how that that is going in the trenches. So thanks, Sam, for that conversation. You can always find the Smart Home Show at technology.fm. You can also find us at any of your general podcast spots around the Internet. We'll be back in a few more days with an episode with Richard Gunther from Home On. Stay tuned for that. Until then, talk to you soon.